read about thought-provoking topics? Read along with a stress-free book club that fits into a busy lifestyle. From out of the pages to real life, explore the fine line between fiction and nonfiction as we pull from bestsellers that will change your life. Tune in to our bi-weekly book club of mind-bending and empowering stories hosted by Nova Lorraine, founder of Rain Magazine, and her two co-hosts, Toby Santagato and Barbara Donato. Welcome to another episode of Tuesday's Book Club, exclusively on the Pink Kangaroo Podcast Network. This week's book is Autobiography of a Yogi by Paramahansa Yogananda. I'm one of your hosts, Nova Lorraine, and two of my lovely co-hosts will be joining me as usual. Hello, Toby. Hi, how are you? Hey, Barbara. Hello. And for those that are joining us for the first time, Tuesday's Book Club is a convenient place to explore, discuss, and discover new books that will change your life. If you are on a journey of growth, if you love diving deeper in conversations and topics that you may not be able to do with your friends, this is the place to come to, Tuesday's Book Club. So before we dive into today's book, Autobiography of a Yogi, we're going to talk about the next three books on our list. You guys ready? I'm ready. Yes, ma'am. All right. So we have The Richest Man in Babylon by George S. Clayson. And I hope you listeners are writing this down. (laughs) So get your pen and paper, your smartphone, whatever you're using. Okay. So um, the next book is The Richest Man in Babylon by George S. Clayson. We then are following that book with Unleash Your Supernova by yours truly, Nova Lorraine. Yes, it's finally out. And The Reader by Bernard Schlink. Okay. And I'm going to say that again. The Reader by Bernard Schlink. That's S-C-H-L-I-N-K. Those are our next three books. The Richest Man in Babylon, Unleash Your Supernova, and The Reader. So definitely get those, start reading, start taking notes so you can join along when we discuss those books. So as usual, I'm going to go into a brief summary from the publisher about Autobiography of a Yogi. Published in 1946, Autobiography of a Yogi is the autobiography of the realized master, Paramahansa Yogananda, and his encounters with spiritual figures of both the East and the West. The autobiography begins with Yogananda's childhood family life, to finding his guru, to becoming a monk, and establishing his teachings of Kriya Yoga meditation. The book continues in 1920 when Yogananda accepts an invitation to speak in a religious congress in Boston, Massachusetts. He then travels across America lecturing and establishing his teachings in Los Angeles, California. Now, just look at some interesting facts about the book. Steve Jobs read this book, I believe, every year for the last 40 years of his life. And he even took trips to India after being inspired by the book. Paramahansa was born January 5th, 1893, and died on March 7th, 1952. 
where he knew exactly when he was going to depart this earth and his departure from his physical body. So our author was born in the late 1800s, guys. Just like wrap your head around that. Crazy. And died in the mid-1900s, 1952. And I believe the summary from the publisher doesn't even scratch <laughs> no way. the surface, like not even touching scratching the surface. So I'm really looking forward to diving deeper into today's book, guys. It's one of the most profound books that I've read in my lifetime. And I read a lot. You all read a lot. And we've read some incredible books so far in our series of books on Tuesday's Book Club. So I'm going to stop there. I'm going to let you guys jump into what you think. I know we're going to dive into the themes and quotes and things like that. But overall, what do you think about Autobiography of Yogi? I loved it. Funny story. I actually remember a few weeks ago, I was reading the book. And as I was reading the book, I was like, this book sounds so familiar. And I was like, there's something about this book. I feel like it's deja vu. And the more I read into it, it just, it dawned on me. And I actually went back and I, and I asked some of my brothers and sisters about it. And they're like, yeah, daddy had this book. And I was like, I know he had this book because I read this book before. And I remember reading it when I was in high school. And I was pretty silly back when I was in high school because I was like, I'm going to manifest my boyfriend calling me. I'm going to that was what I was doing. But it was like, I felt like back then I was more tapped into what the book was about and the spirit of the book. And then, of course, you know, life gets in the way and then you forget and then you get busy. But I am so, so happy this book was able to come back into my life because like this was my dad's book. You know, my dad passed away in 2011. So I feel like this is a connection to my dad. I don't know. I'm still trying to figure it out about what, you know, why that connection is and just, but yeah, it's just, I'm just so happy that I was able to have this book back in my life, guys. Like I, I, this book was, it really touched me. I just want to jump in. I know Toby, you're going to share your thoughts, but I just had to jump in there, Barbara, when you mentioned that this was a book that was introduced to you much earlier in your life. I was searching my notes on my phone to reference a conversation that Toby and I were having. And I saw that in 2014. This is like seven years ago, six, seven years ago, because it was December of 2014. I had wrote a list of books to read. And one of the books was Autobiography of Yogi. Another book was The Power of Now. Is it The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle? (laughs) These are two books that we recently just read. Very close, you know, close together. And this was in 2014. I completely forgot. I even noted this down. Okay. So then it gets a little more interesting. I do remember when I started reading this book initially, and it was a friend of mine that said, Hey, check out this book. And it was Autobiography Yogi. That was in 2017. And I started reading the book. It was the digital version, not the audio, but like the, you know, like the Kindle version. And I started reading that, got through a good amount of the book, but never finished it. And so Late last year, as you know, we we read The Power of Now, which will be released. For those that are listening to this, you probably already have heard the, the podcast on it. And then it was like, oh, what are we doing next? And it just, this book out of nowhere just came to me. Like literally was like, oh, let's do Autobiography of a Yogi. It wasn't anything I was dwelling on. I mean, 
I had stacks of books that I was super excited to tell you guys about, like, oh, let's read this, let's read that. Out of the blue autobiography of you came to me when I shared with you guys just a few weeks ago, well, maybe now, a couple months ago. I was like, oh, let's read this book. And then remembering that it was something I read years ago, didn't finish it, but really liked it. And that was it. And as I'm reading this book, I'm like, OMG, this is so timely right now for me in my life. So it's so interesting, Barbara, that you mentioned it was a book that you read so long ago, got disconnected from the book. Here we are now reading it now. Same with me, was introduced to it many moons ago and then started reading it a few years ago, four years ago or so got disconnected from it, and then just out of the blue, it came to me. So I just had to jump in and say and share that. Go ahead, Toby. What do you think about the book? That's that's so crazy. Well, I loved the book. It was so dense. And I, after probably, because I listened to it two hours, I was taking notes like, oh my God, that's so good. The next sentence. Oh my God. And then I was like, how am I supposed to keep writing? Because <laughs> moment by moment, there was like lessons and quotes and and relatable things. So it's a great book. I, I'm kind of jealous that you guys have had a second look because I can't even fathom. Also, we've had such great books already in our season one and season two that would make this more powerful for people because it is like a building block. And we wouldn't, I personally wouldn't have been ready for the lessons I got out of it. I would have enjoyed it, but not to the extent of really getting it. So yeah, it's great. And the and the strange thing, uh, without going into details, is this last week, I've been sharing with my family, like, when you put out in the world what you want, things conspire, which is something that we've learned a lot in all of our books. And like so many little things in my personal life have been like showing up that way. And it's just so funny how I wouldn't have noticed that they showed up unless I would had the experience with this wonderful book club. So thank you, ladies. It's been great. Oh, it's been amazing. And yeah, Toby, I agree. I feel that even though the book was, for whatever reason, brought to my attention in 2014, which is like crazy. And then I started reading it in 2017. So it still took me like three years, right? To even get to it. And I didn't finish it. But what I remember is that I was entertained by the book. I don't think, even if I finished it then, I would have gotten what I'm getting out of it right now. So to your point, about the prior books that we've read thus far in Tuesday's book club have definitely built a foundation to be more open, to be paying attention to the lessons. Like you said, I agree. Like I was taking notes, re-listening, re-reading chapters. And because there was so much great information, lessons and quotes and just surprises that you were like, wait, what? That just happened, (laughs) you know? And I'm so grateful that we've had those books leading up to this book because it's allowed me to get so much more out of it. So I absolutely agree with your your comment there. Thank you. And you know what else, ladies? What I think is so awesome about this book, I mean, it was published in 1946. You know what I mean? And wow. Yeah. You know, he's born in the late 1800s. Uh, this book speaks on his life from like the early 1900s. You know what I mean? But it, but so much, I don't even say so much, just pretty much everything to me in this book, we can apply to today. It's timeless. That's the beauty of good, the beauty of good books. You can apply it. That's what it is. Yeah. I loved it. And just the connections, like, like both of you said, the connections from what we've read in our book club and this book, it's just, I mean, it, it's mind blowing. It's just mind blowing to me how strong the connections are. So I, I just feel like it's like 
I don't know. Like we'll talk about it more, yes. you know, as we, get into it, as we get into the session today. But I just can't. I don't know. I just felt there's. I always feel like there's. Well, I don't want to say always, but it's been since this book club and reading the books that we've read. I feel like what is the connection? Like, so you know, what is the connection that all of these books are like? And it's not like Nova from you know. Tell me if I'm wrong. It's not like you were just like, okay, I'm gonna read this and then this is gonna go into this. It's, no, it's like it's these are just random. Hey, how about this book or how about this book? But the, it's just the way that it all connects. It's just just an amazing thing to experience. I agree, and I think mind blowing is the perfect word, Barbara, that you're using to describe not only some of the things that we're going to talk about in the book and listeners get ready, like literally get a comfy seat and some popcorn (laughs) if you haven't read the book yet, because there are going to be some mind-blowing things that we talk about. But then going back to your point, Barbara, regarding connection, I do find that it's mind-blowing that we are selecting these books that so incredibly tie together and build on each other. And they're from different genres. Each of us are recommending them. And it's not something where we're like, oh, let's do it in this way. And it's the stories that are resonating with us or that individuals in our lives have recommended to us that we feel is timely to talk about. And it is incredible to see how it just continues to build. So I'm just excited about what's to come because... (laughs) Like I said, this was so mind-blowing. What's going to be next, right? So on that note, let's talk about some of the themes that really stood out to you in this book, because I feel that this is not an ordinary story. So we've read biographies, we've read personal accounts, and we've read fictional stories. And this is a story, And it's an autobiography that some would argue is fiction because, again, there are some really out-of-this-world information that's shared in the book. Let's start with the themes. Where And Toby, let's start with you. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) And there's a lot because this book is dense, okay, as we know. Yeah. So one of the themes that they talk about about in the book, and I, I don't think it comes up until the yogi meets his swami, But a theme that resonates for me is patience and consistent desire and Mm -hmm. failing and not giving up. And over and over again, the yogi experiences that in all of his interactions. So it starts from, and, and he has a little bit of persistence himself in the beginning, and then it grows, his persistence grows. And, and without that persistence and failing, you really Aren't pa- there's then there's no passion. Passion creates persistence, and persistence means that when you fail, it doesn't matter. Yeah, I mean you might be disappointed. No, it does matter, but it's there's a reason. And all on not to harken back to our all of the books we've read. Really, without it even being on purpose, these were persistent people, and they were powerful. And even if they lived in a small world, they weren't famous in their personal lives and or like in my Antonia, she was persistent. And that was another book we read, but in The Alchemist, he was persistent. So, but they failed a lot. And I take that lesson with me. There's so many things that I've done that took a lot of persistence, a lot of people doubting me and saying, it, you're weird. You know, just homeschooling my kids their entire life, being an educated person to do that, that was inconsistent. You should be going, you should have a big career because you're smart and smart people 
that go to college have careers. And then to be persistent in knowing in my heart what was right for us. And we failed. We failed a lot in that. We failed in that people felt we were failures. Um, so I totally think that's a theme throughout. And as far as we'll talk about the story, but when you read the story, spoiler alert, when he's really little, he keeps thinking that if he goes to the Himalayan mountains, that's his path. And he can only become this like spiritual person if he gets to the Himalayas. But in the storyline, he fails a lot of times. And the path isn't the way he thinks it's going to be to get where he wants to go. But he never gives up. He never gives up. And that, that was incredible for me. So that's one of my themes. Yeah, I love that. And I think what's so unique about our book club, including our listeners, is that when we read these books, you know, we're taking away what resonates with us. But then whenever I hear Barbara and Toby's thoughts and comes, I'm like, oh, that's so good. <laughs> Same, same. I love it because it's just adding to the richness of the story and what I'm learning and what I'm taking away from the book. And I'm actually taking notes. <laughs> I'm going to start doing this for each of our shows yeah, because there's so idea. much good information that I get from both of you. And Toby, I love how you quoted passion leads to persistence. And it's not about the failure. It's about not giving up. And then and because you're passionate about this, you are going to come back and try, try again. And I wouldn't have picked up on that, but you're absolutely right. I mean, he did not give up on this pursuit. Now his path may have changed and how he got there did, but right. he knew in his heart he needed, he wanted to connect with his guru or he wanted to connect with the spiritual, more connect more with the spiritual side. And he thought, which a lot of us do, that oh, if you just follow the red road, you're going to get there. And we're just determined, right? We're back on that red road and we're back on that red road. Yeah, yeah. Where in actuality, it's the yellow bendy road that we should be on. And we still get there. And so there was so much in just the beginning chapters of his young life with his passion to become a monk right? Like that was right, his right. thing as a little kid. That's all he knew. It was like, oh, I'm going to be a monk and I have to live here and I have to do this. And he just right. had in his mind how it had to be. And he just stuck with that. And, and he failed and he failed and he failed until it was time for him to change his way of thinking to really and truly lead him to his goal. I love right. that. Well, he wasn't ready. And, and when we read The Alchemist, similarly, it really wasn't failures. It was like, we you know, what does Edison say? I didn't fail 200 million times. I learned what was not right. I love that. Mm. I love that. And so we call them failures, but what they are is we're not ready to get to where we think we want to go. And these, these people we meet along the way are part of the process. And if the world would look at things like that, there wouldn't be as much depression or whatever, because, and, and it helps me. Like when I hit a wall, I think to myself, well, maybe that isn't a wall. It's, it's a lesson that's going to help me evolve into another another space and time and so this book is very similar to, to the alchemist in that he was he met so many people and and this book is so dense in the people he meets and the people that he meets changes so he, the neat thing is his goal really doesn't change but his path and and how it's like watching a movie four times you, it's a different movie every time and his path becomes so much more enriched and beautiful because it's not a failure. I call it a failure, but it's more like a, a knowing, a learning, a learning, move on, regroup, get, look at your goal again. And, and I think that's something I definitely have 
I think I had the persistent side and the patient side, but what I've learned through the book club is not to have the negative connotation in, mm-hmm. in calling it a failure. It's more like a, oh, wow, okay. It's like almost saying like, well, I guess it wasn't meant to be. And I used to hate that. So thank you for taking that away from me. I used to hate that, hate that. What do you mean it wasn't meant? You know, I'm like, are you crazy? But maybe that it's a blessing now because you guys have given me a, a way to look at things and go, well, maybe really that wasn't what it would be. It's something better, something different. So, and this book does that for you. Honestly, and that's one of the things that resonated with me is that in the book, it didn't look at failures as a negative thing. You know what I mean? It was like, you know, you look at a failure as a way to be even more determined to reach your goal. It's to arouse a determination within you to continue on the path that you, not so much that you've chosen for yourself, that that's been chosen for you, you know? Like when you fail, you look at why did I fail? Like you analyze every single thing. And so that way you regroup, you don't lose, you learn. So it's like, like, let me do a self-analysis to figure out what it is that that's hindering me from reaching this goal or what is it that's holding me back? Is it, is there some negative, something negative within me or my negative thought pattern? You know, that's what I love about this book, you know, because it, it really you see other things where it's like, you know, oh, don't fail, fail. This is it. like where failure is such a negative experience. In this book, failure really is not a negative experience. Failure is just a motivation to continue pushing through. Every obstacle is something to be overcome. You know, and that's what I loved about this book. I just love it. Like, Toby, you really hit it on the nail with that. Yeah. And you know what? I love how you also mentioned patience. and. I think when we talk about persistence, we don't always talk about patience. We talk about maybe resilience. And I think back to my journey where I was extremely persistent in wanting to be a doctor when I was, you know, young adult. And I was on that red path, guys, because I want to be a doctor. Why do I want to be a doctor? I want to help people. Why do I want to help people? I want to help children be happier, live a happier life, you know, that sort of deal. And here I am, and we both know we're not, I'm not a physician, even though I was on that path for many years, I went into the creative industries to answer my why, to help people. And that has materialized into books and podcasts and magazine and other things, you know, clothing line. And, and I'm still helping people, but I would have not, if I wasn't open to shifting Mm -hmm. to another way, such as our author, then I wouldn't have realized that I could have done it in a different way and truly loving what I'm doing. But that journey, even though I switched to the yellow windy road, (laughs) I'm going to call it, there was a lot of failure. There were moments of wanting to give up, moments of frustration. It didn't always happen as quick as I wanted. It didn't happen in the way I wanted. It didn't happen with the people who I thought it was going to happen with. Like all of these things. And I don't think I was consciously like, okay, I failed. Let me get up, dust myself off and keep going. I wasn't consciously doing that. But it was something because going back to the point of passion, Toby, because I was so passionate about helping people and passionate in how I was doing it, that there was no other way but to keep going. There was no other choice because what else would I be doing? Because this is what I love to do. This is how I want to do it. So what was the alternative? 
So I had to figure it out and I had to be patient. I had to learn those lessons of patience and persistence. So I love how you brought those two together, Toby. Thank you. Thank you. It's definitely something that I, I try to just go with my gut and it's not always been a popular path, even with people that love me. You know, my parents, especially my father and my mother were like, are you kidding? Why are you keeping them home? A lot of my friends thought it was weird. And, and, and at times I doubted myself, but like deep down inside, I knew it was the right thing. And I'm grateful that I did. It was the greatest experience of my life and the greatest career I could have had. I wouldn't do it over again any differently. So you have to, it's like, you have to know, and your knowing is you and nobody else can know what's in you, but you, and then be confident enough to deal with other people being uncomfortable with what your decision is. And that's hard. No, you're right. You're right. Um, Barbara, did you mention your theme? Do you were just echoing with Toby or was there another theme you wanted to touch on? I want to make sure we go around the table. Yes. There was another theme I wanted to touch on for me. And it, it kind of puts, it's twofold. The first part of it being self-realization. The biggest thing that hit me in this book was just create the, the main theme of Kriya Yoga itself is the uh, realization that God is in us. And we are, I guess God is us and we are God, I guess is, is, is how I'm defining it. And in order for us to do that, you know, we have to have a further consciousness of self, right? And that's another thing that the book talks about. And how do we do that? We live in the moment, you know, (laughs) you know, power of now. And by doing that, I guess it's threefold. We find happiness. So that resonated to me because <laughs> the alchemist, the power of now, like all of these books we've read where the, the protagonists in our books were becoming self-aware. And in their, in their self-awareness, there was a alchemy, a change, right? And that's what I feel like that's happening in my life in these last few years, especially since I've met you, um, Nova. There's been a lot of self-awareness for me starting with The Alchemist, where it was like, what is my life's purpose? What to serve others? What, what am I doing that's going to help me? And that's another, again, there's, let me add another one. It was just so many things in this book that resonated with me and it all boiled down to self-realization, self-awareness, self-analysis, will, you know, what am I doing for me that's going to get me closer to God? How am I getting closer to God? What am I, you know, how can I be still in order for me to feel God's presence and maybe hear and listen to what my path is? Just like in The Alchemist, where the young man, you know, went out into the desert so that he, you know, it's the same thing that I guess I'm trying to figure out for me. Let me go back to when I was younger, when I was talking to you guys, when I first read the book, I was very spiritual back when I was in high school. You know, and I was very, very in touch with what I wanted to do, who I was, the power of positive thinking. And there was a lot of things that when I set goals for myself, I reached them. And I spent, you know, and then life happened. And there was many, many years where I lost touch with that. And I lost touch with my sense of self to where certain factors that happened in the last year made me realize, wait a minute, I've been so busy outwardly. I never was inward. I never took a chance to look within myself to say, what am I? And to define what my purpose in life was. 
So I was lost for a little while. And that's why when I read this book and they talked about self-realization, being still, living in the moment, it really hit me because that's what I'm doing now. I'm, I'm looking within, I'm, I'm looking for God within myself. And I think by doing that, I'll be able to find my purpose and then I'll be able to let, you know, the powers that be guide me to where I can serve others and then truly find my happiness. So that, yeah, that theme, those themes <laughs> really hit me hard. You know what, Barbara? No, I just wanted to just, as she was um, talking, which is very powerful, one of the quotes came to me. I know we're not doing quotes yet, but I had to read this. Stillness is the altar of spirit. And that's one of the quotes in the book. And you talked about alchemy and change and being self-aware and being in the present moment and being still. Yeah. So anyway, I just had to read that quote from the book because it was like, oh my gosh, that's perfect. Barbara, I kind of relate to that in that I think that as mothers, and I'm sure fathers go through some of this as well, but we're constantly wanting to be good mothers and we have to find a balance of good mothers and keeping our own self. To the extent that I have a, you know, a 23 and a 26 year old now, and my, my daughter, Charlie, sometimes like they don't, it's not that they're not supportive of me, but they're just so surprised because I really kind of lost myself because myself was defined only as one dynamic. So it's really important to, and you're not doing them a favor, you're doing them a disservice, your children. If you disconnect with yourself so much, like Barbara said, you're just living life and you're so busy running the rat race. And it's not that you're not going to be a great mother no matter what, but I, I've learned now my wisdom to imbue on others is a great mother doesn't lose themselves. They exactly. do. Both. And mm. it's really important. It's really important. And so I think that was, is what resonated with. And when you have that sort of out of body ability to look at yourself, it comes with peacefulness. There's like almost like a, oh my gosh. And it's not selfish. It's just, I don't know. It's a beautiful thing. And and I think that's what Robert was saying. You're just slowing down enough to not stop being productive in the things that you have to get done or the things you want to get done, but you're also knowing yourself more. And it's not, it, that's, that's an activity. It's an active thing. You don't just, you can fast forward 20 years and, and you have not taken the time to know yourself. I mean, really, truly, like it's like, and then two, what are we, it's so true that we as women, we tend to give so much of ourselves. We give so, so, so much of ourselves that we lose who we are. You know what I mean? So if you were to ask me two years ago, you know, Barbara, what do you do? Like, who are you? I'm a chauffeur. Who are you? I'm a cheerleader. Who are you? I'm a boss. I'm a manager. I'm a, like, who are you? These are the things that, but who are you? Like who, when you look inside yourself and you take away all of those other things, who are you raw and naked? I would not have been able to answer the question because I didn't, uh, you're right. I wasn't still, I didn't hear myself. I didn't, I, the, the realization of the self-realization of who I was, was a disconnect. And I even was even disconnected from, as a Christian, I was even disconnected from God and my faith in God. And it changes. It really, you know, I look at my mom, who's very, very, very spiritual. And, you know, and again, that's another, like, I think we were talking about doing another theme that will go into the other theme. But my mom, when she puts it in her mind to get something done. And and again, when I talked about myself when I was younger, 
when I had it in my mind, and like I do make the joke of, I would like manifest my boyfriend calling me. Like, <laughs> I love that. We did not have cell So I had to visualize him calling me. And I'm like, he is going to call me in two minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I was not allowed to call him because my parents were like, oh, don't, don't go all underneath. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's going to call me. But, um, and he did though. He did. He did a couple of times, but I, I think it was more of a coincidence than anything. But I was like, I would always say, okay, I'm going to will myself to do this. Like to, you know, I have a track meet and we're going to win and we're going to do this. So it gave me more of a push to practice harder because I knew I was going to win. I knew it was never, are we going to win? If we, no, I knew we were going to win. Like I knew I was going right. to do that hundred in that class. I knew that I was going to get accepted to this college. Like I knew, like I, there was never a, a chance of me feeling like, and don't get me wrong, because we all go through angst and, as teenagers, you know, people pleasers and all that other thing. But there was a very, I was very resolute in what I wanted to do and what my goals were going to be. I was just going to say, I didn't mean to cut you off. I was going to say that, why is that? There were a couple of things that you brought up that I was just sitting here pondering. One was, there was a time period where you became disconnected and not still and more wrapped around the titles of who you were versus your inner self and that true definition, that raw definition. And then the point where you were mainly in a place of knowing and you knew the power, you may not have called it manifestation then, or maybe you did, you're way ahead of the game, but you knew the power of your thoughts and your desires. And when I think back to my teenage years, I was extremely, I would say determined and if I, there was something that I wanted, I just knew it was going to happen. It was just like, boom, period, done. You know, it wasn't, wasn't second guessing. I wasn't this, wasn't that. I would write things down that I wanted, didn't really know what I was doing, but I wrote it down and then it came to pass. And there was a t- time period where I can look back and say, I was definitely more on that hamster wheel mm-hmm. than not. And I was just doing, 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 going, going, going. And I feel that as we go through our teenage years, I feel that our culture sort of drives us to a point of disconnection because our focus does change in terms of what we're looking for and desiring. It's it's mainly based on physical, tangible things, right? You're leaving the nest. You need to find a way to support yourself. Where are you going to live? Who are you going to be with? It's all of this in the material world. And because that shelter that you had under your parents' home and that's being taken away from you as you get older and then your focus shifts. And then I believe that as we get older and we go through life and say, well, wait a minute, we've done everything we were told that we were supposed to do and we're still questioning. We're still not quite happy. We're still not as healthy as we can be. We're still, so what's really going on? If I followed the playbook, and all of these other negative things are happening. What's going on? And I think we take that's the, when we start having those shifts in our life. You mentioned about being the chauffeur and the cheerleader and, and those titles. I remember a good friend of mine asked me if I was going to describe myself, how would I describe myself? And again, I was just doing, oh, I'm a mother. I'm a, you know, mom. I'm an entrepreneur, you know, I'm a writer, all these titles that society has given us. And then they said, remove the titles and then describe yourself. And I was like, oh, like what? <laughs> I just had to sit there for a minute and I'm like, well, let me think about this. How would I describe myself? 
And then it turned into action, uh, not action, excuse me, adjectives. And I was like, I'm compassionate, I'm creative, I'm empathetic, I'm what all these other, and I just started feeling so good. And when I was describing myself with the titles, like it felt like this weight and this heaviness because there's all these expectations that come with each of those roles. So true. And then when you go back to that raw space that you describe, Barbara, and you're just describing your inner essence of who you are, there's it's all light. And then you almost start falling in love with yourself. You're like, oh, okay. And then people are drawn to you. It's like a thing. Yeah. And so I feel that this is an opportunity The conversation is starting here with us, and I'm sure others are having it, but this is the opportunity for us to start challenging those in our lives and that are around us to really evaluate, as you said, Barbara, start questioning, you know, where you are, who you are, what you want, start going through this process of self-realization, tapping into that inner God that's in you, tapping into the beauty and love. What's God? God is love tapping into that love that's within you and in order to grow and become a better version of yourself. And, you know, who are you? Ask that question. And it may not come to you right away and that's okay. And then also let's, let's start shifting the conversations with our children. We're all mothers here, right? Let's start shifting the conversations with our children. So our children can share it with their friends and they can share it with their children, right? Where, what should we be focusing on as teens and young adults? And so I had a conversation just yesterday, I think it was, with my kids. And they were like, oh, oh mom, you know, I was like, here we go. <laughs> I'm like, okay, guys, get out a piece of paper. We're going to do this quick activity that turned into like an hour. We did this quick activity. And then I said, I want you to just write down on your paper, what are your goals? But these are the three areas I want you to focus on. Mind, body, spirit. Just write those down. And so they took a few minutes to write them down. I said, okay, flip the paper over, write down your schedule, Sunday to Saturday. What are you doing with your time? Just write everything down. And then look at your goals and see how much of your time and your current activity are you giving to those goals? Because I think we get so caught up in the either I'm bored, I'm going to get on my phone, I'm bored, I'm going to watch a movie, I'm too busy because I'm doing this, that, and the other, and I'm finding things to fill my time. And a day becomes a week, becomes a month, becomes a year, becomes a decade. And we're nowhere closer to self-realization, self-awareness than we were a decade before. So we have these goals in our heads sometimes and these desires, but we're not putting them to action. We're not taking steps to get closer to meeting those goals. They're not consistent. And you don't realize it because you're, you're filling every single space, which is definitely a societal thing. I mean, we're told if, if we have uh, any kind of space that's not a choreograph, then we're being lazy. So there's not a lot of, so we fill it all. I'm certainly guilty of that when I was raising the kids, like especially keeping them home. I wanted to prove to everybody like uh, we're, we're, we're home, what we're doing. So I overfilled again. If I had to do it over again, I would have done less. And we had more moments. We cuddled, we watched TV, but still they insanely achieved kids. And there is a cost and I can't go back. I can't fix it, but I, they won't do that with their kids. But yeah, I had them doing everything and everything they did perfect. And it created anxiety. Like they're still overachievers. They always feel like they have to do, do, do. And it's because of the way they were raised. And it's because I was trying to prove something. So another piece of advice is 
don't underfill, but look at what's good and what's right and not trying to have this badge of success that society is going to deem then that what you chose to do is okay because that's why I did it. And it's it's a hard lesson, you know? I think we, I also think that we're, oh, we have to constantly be, we've gotten to a place where we're constantly stimulated, right? Like we're always mentally busy. Like we have to be watching TV. We have to be reading a book. We have to be doing this. We have to be doing that. We have to be doing this. I remember growing up and I think this might've contributed to, to my, to be being able to be living in the moment. And over, maybe you experienced that too, Toby, when you guys were younger, my, there was, I lived in New York. My mother would take us to West End and this uh, Riverside Drive. And there was this little area on Riverside Drive. Well, it wasn't a little area, but it was like a little place where you could walk where there was flowers. It was just all different types of flowers. And my mom used to love walking there. And we would just go and just enjoy the flowers. We would pick up these little, and again, of course, I don't remember the name because my memory is horrible now. And we would like blow, do like these little things where we would blow the flower and these little cotton, you know, things would like be flying all over the place. We would make wishes. And we were really in the moment. We were embracing nature. We were loving nature. We were experiencing life in the now. And I don't think we do that anymore. Like I remember going, my mom used to like, my mom is, is very busy. She's a very busy person, but she used to love going to places of quiet and peace and like self-reflection. And she would bring my sister and I there uh, to these places. Sometimes it would either be a church or a garden, um, usually churches, <laughs> but it would be somewhere where it would be nice and quiet, where we would be able to just experience quietness and nature. And I think, I don't know if she did that on purpose, but I think she was doing it more for her because my mother used to do she was very prayer minded. She was always praying. And I think that she did that for herself, but it kind of touched on my sister and I because we were always with her. And I found myself as I got older, I used to love going to nature and to just sit in quietness and just experience the quietness and the stillness. And I loved it, loved it, loved it. So when you said that quote from the book, like I felt that. And actually, that was one of my quotes. <laughs> You know, stillness is the altar of spirit because I feel like when you're young, when, well, back when we were younger, I think it was easier for us to be able to find that stillness. But then as we get older, we are, what do we need to do to stimulate our brains? What do we need to do to get, to get more educated? What do we need to do to get more knowledge? What do we need to do to make more money? What do we need to do? to? You got to get someplace. Constant watching TV, watching the computer, looking at this. And outward, 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 outward stimulation that we... It's exhausting. Yes. So even when you're coming home, that's one thing that I'm... Another thing I, I took from the book towards the end when they talk about meditation, like I really, really want... And again, alchemist, again, power of now. I really want to focus on that. And I really want to learn how to be still within myself. I know that with the power of now, I started trying to just take times where I would just sit down and just listen and look around and just kind of feel what was happening right now. Like I, I try to take a couple of moments a day to just do that. You know what I mean? So I can center myself. Well, they have you remember, they kind of gave us exercises to do it, which was really neat because if, you know, it's one thing to do it, but if you get 
it was good for me because I don't do that it's to have the guidance. And I did do it with the book. So I really appreciated that. Yeah, I do. I do believe that we need to meditate. I think meditation, it will help us. You know what I mean? It helps us with self-reflection. It helps us with growth. And I mean, it just quiets our mind. So there's so mm-hmm. much out there. Like there's so much over. I think we're just an overstimulated society. I do too. And even with that, like they even talked about in the book, it talked about fear and how fear is so inhibiting to Mm -hmm. everything, to our growth, to our movement, towards our goals, towards our purpose. Like we have to eliminate that fear. And one of the ways to do that is through self-reflection and through manifestation and through the power of will, which is another one of my themes. um, (laughs) I think you're sneaking more than we said we would do, Barbara. You're like, you're naughty, naughty. I'm trying to throw in all my, all my themes in this, you know. Girl. That's, I think the beauty of the book is there's so much. And again, for our listeners, definitely pick it up. It's not a quick read as some of our other books and it deserves the time that it takes to get through it. So if it's, weeks, months, for some, and maybe a year or more. It's a book that I feel everyone should read with an open mind because there's just so much you can take from it. And we're literally, we've only talked about like two, maybe two and a half themes and we haven't even gotten into the story yet. I know. So, you know, you can see how powerful this book really is and how it can affect you differently than how it's affecting each of us. And then we're seeing that here and now. I do absolutely want to hear your other themes, ladies. And I think what we're going to do is turn this into a two-part show. And so we're going to continue to talk and share, and we'll just break it up when we edit it, just so our listeners can digest it more easily. So, but yeah, I would say one of my themes is that our world is a cosmic dream, is what they call it in the book, that there's more to the world than what we see. And going back to Barbara's comment about the rat race and Toby, your comment about the expectations that society puts on us, the definition of what success is, a lot of that is, again, tied to physical, material acquisitions and or the sense of power, right? With money comes power or approval or what we know is defined as success, et cetera. And those are more easily defined when you can see the physical attributes of that, you know, the car, the house, the clothes and everything else that go with that. And I'm not putting down material wealth because what Yogananda was trying to do was show the balance between spirituality and materialism. But I feel that because we're so wrapped into the pursuit of physical items that we forget that there's more to us. We were talking about the inner self, that spiritual self, that godly self, the physical self, and there's more to the world. And so we know there's wind, even though we can't see it, right? We believe in God, even though we've never seen him or her or it, depending on who you're talking to. And so, but we believe that they're there and it exists. And those are just two examples of something that's not physical that we can hold in our hand and wrap our hands around, but no, is there. And the more we understand that there's more to this, what, what's called the cosmic dream, 
then the more we can manipulate it and how we have the ability to create the stories we want, the quote unquote successes we want, the accomplishments we want, the people in our lives, our health, our physical appearances, things that we feel are out of control are actually in our control. And so that was just something that I thought was really powerful is that we focus so much on what we would call the three-dimensional aspects of our lives that we miss the bigger picture that that's just a fraction of who we are and what our world is. Well, and to resonate with the book and connect the book on that, one of the things that I thought was incredibly special, it's not a theme or a quote, but what was really neat is like the yogi, I mean, if you could, for me, if you could dream up the perfect teacher, he had it because he had a teacher that told him and taught him besides being humble, that the way things look for other people is just okay. Don't worry about it. So if you see a beggar on the street, you're not better than them. Maybe they're happy. Maybe that's the best achievement. You First of all, to me, that's the number one thing. I mean, if you're happy, it doesn't matter. But he kept telling him, don't define things. Don't define things. Open-minded, open-minded. And even just like the way he said, like at one point in there, there's like being a monk and, and living in the mountains forever doesn't make you a better person either. And he respected education. He had just the most modern teacher that taught him so many things about humility and knowing that there isn't just one path, even to spiritualness. Like he was talking about religion and how he would never want someone to, to change their religion to then practice the spiritual path. He actually said the opposite, which floored me. I like was like, what? I had to like rewind back, what? He said, we want them to be the most truest form of their religion, the most like perfect religious person. Don't change your religion because only in the truth of yourself and to your religion can you find spirituality. And I was like, this guy is pretty cool. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> yeah. So I thought, and, and it was like about prejudice. Like, you can't, that's great. Like, it doesn't matter the way you look and the way I look and the way my path went and the way your path went, as long as it's a good path. And he taught him that. And like, and it, he, it took him a while to teach him that because he kept, you know, the yogi kept coming back to like the, but what about that? Oh, that person. And he'd be like, no, 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 no. And there was a bunch of lessons if you listen to the book or read the book where he was teaching him, you know, just like we have children or, or adults that we try to teach. It's not always the first time you, that you set an example or show somebody a path that it just immediately connects. But for me, I don't think that anybody should be better than anyone else. Just be a good person. So, yeah, I love how you brought up the fact that he really did emphasize not to judge anyone or anything. And because it's not about that, right? It really isn't. Like if, if there's more to us, if there's more to the world and what we see, then what are you placing judgment on? <laughs> it's just like, no, like live your life, be happy, you know, strive for growth, self-awareness, self-realization, so you can tap into more of who you really are. And how other people do it is just how they do it. And it's not, it's not up to us to say who's better, who's not, who's right or who's wrong. And he even touches on, oh gosh, you guys may remember this a little better, but he does touch on the word evil, I believe, or people who do bad things. He even touched on that. And I can't remember. I'll have to look look it up and, and come back to it. But even how he describes that, it's more about balance as opposed to 
oh, they're so bad or this and that and the other. And so his perspective about life was just so fresh. And I love how he did give him the freedom to make those mistakes, to come back and learn the lesson. Right. And sometimes he had to do it a few times. Like, you know, he would, I forget because it's such a dense book, but he met, he had him almost meeting certain people to then see how he would react. I forget. He met someone somewhere and he kind of was like, sort of like thinking he was better than them. And he was like, oh, no, 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 no. That's not the way it is. You're not better. They're just different. And I was like, oh, that's the secret to like, no war, all peace. Like, it's so simple. Like, don't judge. Do your thing. Yeah. Yeah. I would say some of these stories in the book that jumped out at me about the physical and non-physical is the the Swami, I believe, who was able to create fragrance mm-hmm. out of nowhere, and then also create physical objects to appear out of nowhere. And again, going back to the more you understand the laws that he mentioned, the non-physical laws, the more you can manipulate your physical world. And so there's example after example of individuals that are defying what we would that we would express as reality or real there's a a saint who's able to be in two places at once that's another person there's a there's another individual that's able to tame lions or the tigers tigers. tiger swami that was actually one of my favorite because I didn't pick it as a theme because we were limiting to two, but briefly he was, his lesson was that the body is sustained by the mind. And even if you think about exercise, I'm always like, I know I should exercise, but if your brain doesn't tell you to get on and do ex- and afterward, you're so happy. So I love that quote, the body is sustained by the mind, even spiritually. Like if you're meditating and you're not on edge and you're not grinding your teeth, again, your mind is sustaining the spiritualness and your body is going to be healthier if you're not stressed. Everybody knows even scientifically with cortisol levels and all that, like your body means nothing without the mind. But what was really interesting was we also, in order to spread the word, he explained to the yogi, you have to have your body because that's the reality. Most people function in that way. So that was really cool. I was like, well, let's use this. That actually leads into my next theme. And so let's let this be the end of part one. And we promise, (laughs) speaking to our listeners, we promise we're going to get to the story and we're going to dive a little deeper into autobiography of a yogi. This is Nova Lorraine and Toby and Barbara. And we're going to come back with part two of Autobiography of a Yogi on Tuesday's Book Club, exclusively presented to you by the Pink Kangaroo Podcast Network. So see you soon and definitely check out part two. 